What up, guys? Welcome back to Off the Record, where we talk about whatever we want. And today's segment is Ask an Expert. And we got Eric here, who's an accountant. So there's a complicated question I've always had. Um, so I wrote it down. I love it. And I don't even know how to ask the question directly, but when it comes to finances and taxes and investing and stuff, I always hear uh, that, um, okay, that uh, they should have taught like XYZ in school, right? And then, so that's one part of the question. The other part of the question is, even from like a, my own discovery, where living in America, everything is like, you live, you're born and raised on the dollar. And then the first time I ever heard that like, oh, like the dollar is weaker against this currency or stronger against this currency, it kind of blew my mind a bit. Where like people with a global perspective, they're like investing, like they're buying gold or buying like crypto or whatever to kind of, cause like things are always kind of fluctuating against each other. Could you explain like that concept? Cause like, you know, a lot of people that are the most risk adverse, they don't want to invest in anything cause there's always a chance of losing. Um, but what they don't see is if we're just holding on to your dollar, if other economies are getting stronger, technically your dollar is shrinking, but you don't know it, you know, just because you're, you're like stuck on your own. Got right? it. <clears throat> so that's kind of a money and money supply is a kind of a complex topic. Yeah. So let's kind of break it down to plain English. So we have the US dollar, right? And that's what we spend money on. Back in the day, it used to be, it used to be linked to gold where you could redeem your dollar for a piece of gold. And when Nixon, Nixon came into office, they realized, shoot, if this keeps going on, gold's gonna go through the roof and we don't have enough assets to be able to do that. So we went off of the gold standard. The US dollar was what we call a reserve currency. And also it's a, a world reserve currency. So a lot of other countries utilize the US dollar. That's why right now we have what we call a hegemony. Hegemony basically means that other currencies, other, other countries are utilizing the US dollar to provide their transactions and they, they consider the US dollar as a store of wealth, as a uh, effectively a, a trading mechanism for them to do things. Like we're almost like their gold standard. Correct, correct. And that was that was enacted back in after, it was right after World War II, they had the Bretton Woods Agreement. Bretton Woods was when the, the world came together and said, shit, the world's like falling apart. We need to rebuild our countries. We don't have stability in our currencies. How do we do this? So I forget who exactly was present at the time. Was it Woodrow Wilson? I don't know exactly who it was. Rafti, I don't remember. <clears throat> but basically they came to an agreement saying at the time, because the US dollar was still associated with gold, we would use the US dollar as the reserve currency for the world. So fast forward today, the way the US dollar works is the US dollar is basically an IOU. When you look at the US dollar, back in the day, it used to say redeemable for gold. Right now it doesn't have that same clause. So the value of the US dollar is based upon the strength of the US economy. So there's a fluctuation in value as it goes up and down, depending on the strength of the economy, policy, and all that stuff. So the valuation in comparison to other countries, that's a complex topic because that de that's determined on a number of factors. How's trading working? How is their currency in uh, comparison to ours? Is the demand of currency there? And that's why also the, right now, we have what we call the petrodollar. Petrodollar basically means all the oil that's traded in the Middle East is pegged to, to the US dollar. And that's why, conspiracy theory aside, when Egypt, Libya, and all these other countries are trying to create their own petrodollar, that threatened the US hegemony, and that's why we knocked out their 
dictators. Gaddafi. Gaddafi, for example, right? He was trying to create the African Union and go to the- Correct. Trade, trade oil and everything through- No, he was an evil dictator. That's what I heard. Yeah. And so here's, I mean, here again, this conspiracy, like, I don't even, it's not really conspiracy because conspiracy implies that it's like made up. This actual history. Yeah. The U.S. has always intervened in governments that threaten the power of the U.S. dollar. And that's why our military, why we invest so much money into our military, it's not because, I mean, granted, yeah, we love the military industrial complex. We, we lionize the military and all these things. And I know that, you know, you serve as thank you for your service. But the reason that we have such a strong military is to defend the U.S. dollar and keep the value of the U.S. dollar up. The freedom dollars. The freedom dollars, right? We just got back into Syria, by the way. Yes, in less than 48 hours, we freaking, uh, we got right back in. Exciting times. What a lot of people don't know, side note, is like, actually Obama, again, I'm relatively independent, Obama was known as a drone king captain. Yeah. When Trump was in office, a lot of people don't realize that the number of drone attacks went up by 4x of Obama's record. Mm -hmm. So Trump, although they say that he pulled out of the country, he actually was still intervening and stuff. Yeah, we elect war criminals in this country, it's fun. It's because of, uh, so Dwight Eisenhower like warned us of it. He called it the military industrial complex. It's such a massive industry that really holds a grapple hold on America. So let's talk about inflation. Let's talk about money supply. So before, I would say about eight years ago, there used to be a publication number called M2, which is money supply. So every single year, the US would print a certain number of dollars to keep liquidity in the markets. So the way the economy works is not by like putting money in your bank account. The way the money, the economy works is through what they call money velocity. Money needs to flow through the economy to go from you buying a bagel or a burrito, and then that guy that bought, that sold you the burrito takes it to his detailer, gets his car detailed, and then a detailer takes those dollars and he buys something at Walmart or whatever. Money velocity is super important. Because if it's trapped up in everyone's bank account, then the money supply is low, and then I see, and then there's no trade happening. Yes, yes. So money velocity is important. So in order to stimulate the economy, typically what happens is they inject more money into the economy. So when you see like these two trillion dollar bills or these three trillion dollar bills, money is not just poof magically appearing of nowhere. They're printing more money. Now the problem with it is as they print more money, there's more supply in the market. So if we remember from like basic economics, there's this concept of supply and demand. So we think that we have this constant demand of the US dollar, but we don't realize how much additional supply is going into the market. So what that inadvertently ends up doing is it causes this invisible inflation. Inflation basically means as you hold money, your money is devaluing over time. Yeah, it's worth less and less. It's worth and less And you can buy less. less things with it. Correct, right. So let's say your dollar right now, your dollar could buy this, this, this canned drink today. Now, two years from now, this canned drink might not be a dollar more, it might be $1.50. So there's this invisible inflation that people aren't really considering. And you see even like candy bars, they're shrinking in size and going up in price. So there's inflation happening. So inflation is effectively the increase in the cost of consumer goods in relationship to the value of the dollar. So we're all being taxed, like, but it's an invisible tax. It's an invisible tax, and we don't really understand, we don't see that. That's why there's conversations now about raising the minimum wage, because the minimum wage, if you, if you look at it, index for inflation, back in the 20s and 30s, the minimum wage, if you index for inflation, was about $14 per hour, 13 to $14 per hour, whereas right now the federal minimum wage is like $7.50. So they're talking about bringing up to $15, not because of, um, 
not because they, they want to create socialism, whatever, but because they want to index it where inflation hit. So yeah, they could, like a, a regular working job can buy like all the things that they would need. Correct, correct. So now how does that apply to you and I? Is how do we, number one, understand if we put money in a savings account, we're actually losing money every single year, paying tax on all that stuff. How do we as individual investors, individual taxpayers, magnify or def or obliterate or, or go against this rate of inflation. And that's where investing comes in. That's where putting money in the market comes in. That's where buying cryptocurrency comes in. That's where starting businesses come in. That's the only way for us to really attack inflation. If not, if you're the normal traditional person that just puts money in a CD or a bank account, mm -hmm. like you are actually losing money over time because of inflation. Mm -hmm. And again, inflation, just to reinforce it, is just like the, the loss of value the spendable value of your dollar over time. So like on a side tangent, when folks are thinking of the strength of the US currency, people are looking at like, so the big thing a couple years ago, Trump was talking about trade deficits, mm -hmm. this trade war with China and stuff like this, because China had this imbalance in trade, meaning that China was shipping more goods to the US than we were shipping to, to China. So he incorrectly assumed that because there's an imbalance, we must be being cheated. The problem with that is, when there's an imbalance in trade, that means there's actually a demand of the US dollar. When the US dollar is weaker, it allows other countries to buy more shit from us and allows us to be able to provide more trade to them. So the, the problem is when you look at trade, it's, it's a lot more complex than just this, this valuation. So sometimes economically, you have folks from the Fed, Federal Reserve, for example, the Fed, they would actually print more money to the devalue the dollar a little bit to stimulate more trade, mm. right? So it's a very complex topic. And the challenge with us as human beings is we're trying to simplify a complex topic by saying, oh, we have this trade imbalance with China. We have this trade imbalance with Mexico. No, it's a lot more complex than that. Mm -hmm. If we try to change that by tariffs, all that really does is us taxpayers, us individual folks, we pay more for the same stuff because tariffs are paid for by the exporters. This is too hard to understand. How do I have a rhyming slogan that I can vote for instead? <laughs> rhyming slogan. Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. You know, like, hey, hey, ho, ho, and then something that rhymes Terrorists with it. has got to go. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Easy. Yeah. I like yeah. that one. And that's a challenge, right? It's like a lot of political parties, especially the, the right side, they love single-issue voters. Guns. And I'm a gun owner. I love guns. I shoot guns all the time. Same like, but, like you guys guns. as well. Love guns. Love guns. But I don't make my voting decisions based on guns. Or abortion, that's another topic. And like when you think of it, guns and abortion are two of these like specters that that they make it seem like that's the main issue. No, but this time they're gonna take it away though. <laughs> they're gonna take it away. This time they will, this time. <laughs> and it's crazy, right? But at the end of the day, for you and I, the viewers out there and all of us, we just need to understand that the federal government is printing money hand over fist. We don't understand how much supplies in the market. Actually, the amount of money that was printed in the last, since the inception of the US dollar has been eclipsed by the amount of money that's been printed in the last four years. Wow. And what do you think? Four of? years, huh? It's not just this year. Dude, when you look at the chart, it's like fucking a hockey stick it's going all the stick. way into heaven. What do you think the effects of that are going to be in the next like five years? What do you think that looks like? So we got a combination of issues, right? The combination of issues is number one, tax rates have been the lowest they've been in American history. There's one point when tax rates were 80% at its top. Right. 
right? 80%? Yeah. But those are folks making like two million a year, five million or whatever it is. They also were writing it the fuck off too. Oh, okay. A lot of, a lot of um, like the actual realized amount of tax the back then. Tax yeah, it was like 30 something percent, I think. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was still 80% and people were getting by. Right, so we're, we are in a period where we have the lowest tax rate ever. And as a tax strategist, I love it, to be honest. But at the same time too, we've increased our national debt by 2X, almost 2X. When Obama left office, it was $19 trillion, which is a ton of freaking money. Now that Trump has left office, it's $37 trillion, right? Almost double the national debt in four years. The best shit is when they run against the other guy and they go, can you believe this guy did this shit? And they do exactly the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> so what's happening there and where are we borrowing the money? So that's another complex situation. Because when they say America's in debt, like what does that really mean? It's with ourselves. People like to think it's from China, but it's really, it's we are in debt from the Fed. Yeah. China actually holds on to about a trillion dollars of US debt. So they effectively own 4% of the US debt which isn't enough for, like people have this conspiracy of, oh, China's gonna take over and buy us all out. No, they, they're not gonna do that, right? And China also has, is incentivized to allow the US to pay down that debt, because that's a lot of money, right? So the question is, where do we go from here? What do we do? Number one, understand that tax rates are gonna go up, and we have to have some fiscal responsibility from our politicians, although we may not really see that for a while. Fiscal, it's just like when you make money. If you're making $60,000 a year, so let's look at it in government standards. You're making $60,000 a year. If you're the US government, you're in 400 grand of debt. That's where we are right now. So as a family, as a household, in order to at least come to some type of medium or balance, we either have to make more money or spend less or do both. Shout out to Raycon for sponsoring this episode of Off The Record. I've been loving my Raycons that they send me because I just started running again. Nice. And for some reason, there's a lot of earbuds out there that don't sit in really well. So once you start sprinting or you start bouncing up and down, it falls out. Raycons fit really good and it's discreet. It's not like this giant thing that's sticking <laughs> out of your ear. And if you're running like super long distance, like training for a marathon or something, it's really good because it has six hours of battery life. So that's what I really like about mine. And um, yeah, I'm really glad that they send it to me. Yeah, for the longest time, I was pretty stubborn about getting into wireless headphones. Why? Well, cause like, all right, I lose everything, oh, right? right yeah. So like, I like big bulky things or things with wires. True. Uh, because, you know, little earbuds, it's easy to lose. But once I used Raycon, and especially for like working out, activity, mountain biking, whatever, you don't have this stupid dangly wire anymore. Yeah. And it just makes life so much freaking easier. Also for sleeping too. Like when I'm out sleeping over a friend's house or whatever, there's mad noise. Instead of having like, you know, ear plugs, I just use my Raycons wireless and then I turn up some kind of chill app or whatever. Mm. And then I use that as a way to just knock out. That's tight. And you know how like, we do all this outdoor stuff, sports, fitness. The cool thing is it's water resistant yep. and sweat resistant. Yeah, so if you're a sweaty ass motherfucker and you've been frying all your earbuds, mm -hmm. give this one a try. Raycon is offering 15% off all their products for you guys and this is what you gotta do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash off the record and that's it. And you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair 
and a spare. You hear? That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash off the record. One more time, that's buyraycon.com slash off the record. So what's gonna happen if we tell the bank, ah, fuck you. Cause I mean, we're the only customer, so what are they gonna do? We can't. So that's, there inherently is a challenge, right? If you're a big bank asset, again, I'm not dogpiling on Donald Trump, but he's just a great example. Right, when Donald Trump was filing for bankruptcy, one of his many times, he called the banker and says, the bank was like, hey, Donald, we got a problem. He's like, no, you guys got a problem. I owe you guys a billion dollars. I only got half, you know, half a billion in assets. So you guys actually technically have a problem. See, that's- Yes, I hate socialism. And so the irony, it writes corporate socialism. Anyway, but like for us as individual folks, if we owe the bank 10 grand, we're small potatoes to them where they don't, we don't have that same pool, that same power. Right, so the challenge is now, how do we utilize our money the most effectively to allow us to kind of like beat this whole rat race, this whole debt slavery, this debt and servitude, and it really comes down to figuring out, okay, how do we leverage the skill sets that we have, make more money? How do we take that money, live below our means so we're not just buying stupid shit with it, and then take that money and now invest it, build true wealth with it, buy real estate, buy commercial properties, by cryptocurrency, how do we do that in a way where we can take advantage of the system that's already in front of us? So we could be like Donald Trump and then go, hey, um, I owe you guys money, I guess we're in trouble. <laughs> and the bank will be like, yeah, we are, let's figure it out, right? And then you could, I, I heard that the top guys can't even bargain how much they owe. Like, because of the interest and all that, they're like, there's no way I'm gonna pay this back why don't you lower that rate for me? And then they'll be like, all right, well, maybe we'll lower it to like 2%. And then you, and I'm like, what? That's crazy, because if I owe the bank, there's no fucking way, man. I gotta get big enough to where it's like, no, I'm not in trouble, we're in trouble. I wanna like, be able to say that. And they're like, oh, that's right, you are in the club. Because that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. It's a big club, and we ain't in it, baby. Because <laughs> yeah, yep. all of us My are like, quote. fuck, if we owe the bank, we owe the bank, they're gonna take us for everything. Yeah, but then, you know, that's one of the goals is like to get to the top so then you can be like, uh-uh, you're in trouble. Damn, that sucks. But um, I guess that's the way the game goes, right? And we can only try to maneuver the best way possible in the game. Yeah, because I hear like a lot of uh, like workers in like third world or developing countries, the minute that they have, they'll, they'll keep the money that they have, like their investment strategy is whatever money that they need for their expenses or their daily cost, they have that set aside. But anything that they uh, have like, like overages of, they'll either buy gold or convert it to US. Yes. Because it's just way more stable. Yes. But that's from their perspective. And then from some people that are investing now, they feel like America is just as volatile as like a developing country with all that, like with just us printing all kinds of money. Yeah. So I do know a lot of people are also trying to get into like real estate, crypto, and like stocks and stuff like that. Um, when you do trade from currency to currency, are there capital gains there or no? Or is that just yeah? So there it is. They call that the forex market. The forex market is basically you're either playing with the arbitrage of the difference of the U.S. dollar to another currency. And then just like with swing trading or technical trading with stocks and bonds, as the currency goes up in value, then you sell that, that holding of currency and get your profit. So you still have the same like short-term and long-term capital gains. So, like, so let's say you spend $1,000 and you bought some X country coin, uh, and then when you sell that currency and now it's 1500 you have to pay the $500 in gains? Correct. Oh, yeah. Shit. Pay tax on it.
Damn. Yeah. How does the derivatives market tie into the US dollar? So the derivatives market, and again, like this is a super complex, all-encompassing topic that we're trying to compress into like a little statement. Mm -hmm. The derivatives market is effectively like a risk market. They're basically, they're either hedging risk or they're putting up magnifying assets, like a 10 to one, 100 to one risk position of saying, if this happens and this happens. And the challenge with it is right now, what a lot of people don't realize is the derivatives market, this risk market, is massive. It's trillions of dollars. Oh, they don't even know it exists. And it's worth like 450 trillion. Yeah, it's Can I do it on my Robin Hood? <laughs> I mean, you could do like, you could call like, do like Tesla calls or, or did you hear like GameStop? Like how oh, the, dude. <laughs> that's hilarious, right? How these average consumers trading on Robin Hood are able to blow up a hedge fund that yeah. thought that it would what just drop. What is the derivatives market? I don't even know what that is. So derivatives is basically a complex financial product that big banks use to hedge risk. And so, so what do you mean by hedge risk? So let's the easiest one is is the collateralized mortgage market, where basically you buy a home, mm -hmm. you buy it on, at a mortgage, right? The mortgage with Fannie, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. That mortgage gets resold to a servicing bank that services your mortgage and you pay your debt to them. Now that debt gets sold to an investor and that investor resells it into the open market. Now the open market, they create what they call collateralized debt swap, CDS. And again, this is a really complex topic that this we're trying to- This is what like. Michael Burry was doing in, uh, in the what, Big Short. Yes. <clears throat> and so basically what they're doing is they're taking this debt, they're over leveraging it, using it as, as an asset to create more capital for a business to invest. But it's like, think of it like gambling in OMG coin but on a level of like, you have a margin of 100 to one, where you put in five bucks into OMG and they're giving you $500. That's basically the banks are creating massive speculation in the market, but the average consumer doesn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And the problem is if that, that derivative market ever was to pop, because the banks, all the big banks, Chase, Bank of America, Credit Suisse, all the big banks around the world are so intertwined with that, if the derivative market ever popped, the, Financial fallout that would happen would be un, un. Isn't that what happened with the 2008? In a small way, yeah. with the with the mortgages. That, this is the number one thing. Because they were I'm packing about. the shit loans on top of each other as premiums. Mm -hmm. Correct. So and then reselling it to the market yeah. as an investor to um, some institutional bank or what have you. Yeah, that part is so complicated because when I got my mortgage from my house, it was with one bank. And then we get like a letter six months later that my loan's been sold to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but I guess I'll pay this new guy. Right. But it's the same amount. It's the same amount. And I'm like, what the fuck? So just buying debt from other people. But I think on the more relatable scale, it's yeah. like, let's say um, you want to take over someone's loan from the bank because the bank is like about to default, but you're like, I'll take it over. I'll, I'll, I'll fund it and then now you owe me money and then you work individually with the guy that owes the house and you're like, what's your problem, man? Like, what's going on? I lost my job. Well, you know what? I have a friend who owns an auto shop and he's looking for someone and then you get him a job and then you kind of secure that. But you're basically, uh, you're taking over the money lending process. Yeah, they're willing to, they're willing to take the risk because they want like that interest rate or something. Yeah. They have a whole market that's called private money lending or hard money lending, where basically individual investors are loaning money out. And you don't even see it in the real estate development side, in flipping and all that stuff, 
where because of their risk or because of the short-term nature of it, you're going to somebody that's got a million bucks and the million bucks, the guy knows that he's not gonna get 5% in the bank. So he lends it out as a private money note for six months. So the challenge that we're seeing right now, and we see the markets really jumping, all kinds of markets, is because there's a flight of capital. So a lot of folks, they know in the back of their head, there's so much money being printed right now. Like, why do you think Chinese nationals are buying up real estate in the United States? Because they're afraid of their currency decreasing in value. They're moving all the currency out of the country of China. Into a sure bet, which is US real estate. Correct, and that's that's why I see alternative assets like collectibles. So, like, I'm an old school nerd. I play Magic the Gathering. Oh, wow, what a fucking nerd. Super nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that, the, the Magic the Gathering market has jumped over, yeah. I would say, 300% just crazy. in a year. Wow. Pokemon I got friends in the crazy, Pokemon yeah. market. I got a buddy who bought, like, one of two grade 10 shadowless foil Charizards for 100 grand, like, two months ago. It's now worth 250 because there's a flight of capital coming from the market where people are like- What a fucking rich nerd. Super rich nerd. Wow. <clears throat> there's a flight of capital happening right now where people are making hand over, hand over fist in the stock market and they're looking for other places to place mm. that. Wow. Because the gains are just so crazy, crazy that they're like, okay. Put in a shadowless Charizard foil card. Why not? It's more stable than maybe the stock market. Or the dollar. Or the dollar, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the speculation, right? And that's, the, that's, the, that's what we're seeing right now. So a lot of folks that might be watching this might not really be seeing that. Or you might be, you might be a sports person. You see a Kobe Bryant rookie cards skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. You see LeBron James rookie cards skyrocketing. You're like, why is this, how did it double in value, how did it triple in value? So you're seeing it from this micro level. Mm -hmm. But from a macro level, from a large scale, what's happening is people are looking to get returns that they can't normally get. You can't get it in the bank anymore. And you start seeing a lot of institutional investors trying to find alternative investments. By so is it state. essentially trickling down? I don't it's know if it's trickling up. down. I think it's, it's I think it's a false idea of wealth being built. Mm. And the wealth that's being built is really because, because of this oversupply of currency, oversupply of money. So at some point it's gonna pop. So it's like all of a sudden someone got money, threw it into the air, a bunch of people caught it and they're like, oh shit, I gotta, this is, I, I better spend it. Yes. What scares the shit out of me is the derivatives market melting down and people not even knowing why the economy is in the fucking toilet. I mean, that's what happened with the last recession. Yeah, and right. people didn't even know what was happening there. Yeah, until like a decade later. No idea. No idea. And that's, that's probably the scariest thing is because economic markets, they work in cycles. And a lot of people don't, don't really see that because you're working day to day, you're, you're at your job. Yeah. You're in it, right? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it goes in cycles. So we've actually been on this bull market run. Usually it's 12 market cycle, 12 years. So 2008 was the last recession and I finally remember that because I lost my business in that. 2008 was the last recession. We should have had a correction about 2018, but we didn't. You know what my conspiracy is? This chaos is manufactured for huge gains for people and they, have, they had to figure out how to crash it because essentially it was going to up 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 and then guys were like how are we gonna fucking build more and buy more you can make more when you crash it yes so right now we're, we're we're basically seeing the largest transfer of wealth in history and what's gonna happen is we're gonna see the real estate markets because it's been artificially exuberant. And, and Biden right now is talking about creating a new first-time home buyer credit all these things that keep this prop market that's at a bubble and even inventory, like I live in Orange County, the inventory levels for real estate has been the smallest it's been in a long time. 
So we're seeing this like artificial market. And what happens is right now there's a lot of institutional money on the sidelines with billions of dollars just waiting for a market to pop. So they can start buying it up. Buying it all up. Yep. So we're gonna start seeing rental properties go from owned by Joe down the street that owns maybe four or five houses to a big institutional private equity firm that's gonna own it. Yep. And so we're gonna see this massive transfer of wealth. And again, like the challenge is like, how do we as average Americans not necessarily take advantage of it as if we're taking advantage of our local friends or family and stuff like that, but how do we prepare ourselves for what's to happen, right? And it really comes down to financial education. It really comes down to understanding the trends, understanding, okay, maybe it's time to scrimp back and like hold on the cash and capital. So that way when the opportunity arises to buy stuff up, instead of saying, dude, I wanna buy a Lambo, or I wanna buy a Roly, or I wanna buy like these new Gucci shoes, maybe it's a good time to start holding back on some of your cash and just getting yourself in a position to be ready to jump when the opportunities arise. So we can compete with the corporations. Yeah. Well, I thought it was so we can buy 10 Lambos. Oh, that will have that too. Okay. No, but that's when crypto goes to the moon. Okay. To the moon. To the moon. <laughs>